Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, where my goal is to bring you interviews that are going to get you to think more about your entrepreneurial ventures, about lots of stuff. And today, we're going to go a little bit different. Instead of asking the, the normal questions that I have of somebody who is doing something cool as an entrepreneur, today, I'm trying to bring to all of you a topic that is really, really important and maybe something you don't spend a lot of time thinking about, especially if you're a small business person or a solopreneur, and yet... We hear about it on the news and we think that can only happen to other people, and that is cyber security. And I have with us today Scott, I'm going to mess up your last name, Augenbaum, who is a special agent with the FBI. He's been with the FBI 27 years. He's been an agent for 21, and for the last 11 years, he has been focused on cybersecurity and cyber crimes with the FBI. And if you've been watching the news, Scott's a busy guy. So, Scott, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Great. Good morning, Tom. Thanks so much for having me on today. And really, my goal here today is to really talk to your listeners and kind of share my experiences really over the past 11 years and what I've been seeing going on in the world of cybercrime. And we hear so much in the paper every day there is another big breach is going on. And we're seeing one big company after another having all of their information stolen, all their clients record stolen. But one of the things we really don't hear about a lot is what's going on to the small businesses. And unfortunately, every day I'm dealing with small businesses, nonprofits, retirees that are losing a lot of money. Some of them, unfortunately, are going out of business. And the reason I'm speaking with you today is I get so many calls from so many small businesses and retirees, and the hardest part of my job is to tell them it's so hard for us to get their money back. So what I really want to do today, Tom, is you know share with you and share with your listeners some things that I think that they can take back and apply to their small businesses and their personal life to really prevent them from being the victim of cybercrime. Sure, and, and you're right. When, when we think about this, we think about the targets and everybody else, the big companies who are hacked and, and credit card information of all the clients is stolen. And, and this is bad, and it puts a lot of people at risk. But as a small business owner, I, I don't have credit card information of my clients on my computer or things like that. So I oftentimes think, well, why, how does this affect me? So as you know, a lot of the people who listen to the show are, are small, small businesses and solopreneurs. What are the first things we have to think about if we're a small business when it comes to our cybersecurity? Well, the first point that I always go out and I make to organizations, individuals, is when the bad guys get access to your stuff. Now, everyone's stuff is different, but when the bad guys get access to it and you contact us, the chances of us getting your stuff back is really, really challenging. So what is it? So if the bad guys get access to your bank account information and they send out a wire transfer and you're a business account, or if the bad guys get access and get your client list, because what we've been seeing is a lot of account takeovers. So the bad guys get into your platform, and on your platform, what do you have? You have lots and lots of followers. So bad guys are able to compromise this platform, and what do they do? They impersonate yourself. 
Now, all of a sudden, when your platform has thousands of followers and all of a sudden, when they receive an email message or a Twitter message from you, they believe it's you. But we've been saying the bad guys are using these platforms to go out and send out what we call malware. And the malware goes out and steals keystroke lock, steals the keystrokes for your username and password. And when they impersonate you, nobody's ever going to open up any of your emails. One of the other things that we're seeing now is a new virus where it's been out for about a year called the crypto locker virus. And the crypto locker virus uses encryption. Encryption is a good thing. It keeps it, it keeps our information safe. But think about it. What happens if the bad guy is able to encrypt all of your information, which means you cannot get access to your information unless you come up with $500 in bitcoins and send it over to someone in Eastern Europe? So there's a lot of things that the bad guys can do, especially in this new world now where people are building platforms, because it's all about your brand. And think about it. When your brand is taken away from you, what do you have left? So wait a minute. There are actually people who are going in and they're able to lock down people's computers and then they're essentially extorting them to to pay them off? Yes, this is something that we've been seeing going on for a couple of years right now. And unfortunately, these guys are located. We're not dealing with the traditional teenage hacker. We're dealing with very well-organized, very well-financed individuals in Eastern Europe, West Africa, and Asia, and their entire goal is to get access to your information or disrupt your business. So all of a sudden, you try to access your client's information, you are forced with either paying $500 in Bitcoins or you're not going to get access to your information. And this is a really good, important point. As long as you are backing up your information on a regular basis off-site or onto a USB drive that's not plugged in, you're going to be okay. But as we go through the podcast, I really want to talk about things that people can do to prevent themselves from installing these types of malware on their computer. Well, I see it a lot. I get emails where clearly somebody has been hacked, be it Twitter or be it an email, where it's not personalized at all. It just says something like, oh, I thought you would enjoy this, or this picture of you made me laugh. And I, you know, I know right away that that is somebody has been hacked and it's just going out. So I delete the message without ever clicking on anything. And I just sort of assumed everybody knows not to click on things that look suspicious. But apparently that's not true. Well, it's not even a question of and what it's called now, it's targeted spear phishing. And we're seeing the sophistication is increasing. And just a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a business owner that I talked to over here who said, I've just sent you some information on Dropbox. And to me, that's a really big red flag. And I contacted this person. I picked up the phone and they were like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And the malware got into their system. Is that person's in a position of trust? And think about this. It's not going to be up like to share a picture with you. Think about it if now you get an email from your bank. And in the old days, whenever you would get an email and it would say, provide me with your username and password because your bank account is locked out. Most people won't give that information up. But now the bad guys have switched their tactics, so they're going to send you an email. And just imagine you get an email from your bank or someone else that you trust 
let's take the bank example. And it says, as, as part of being a good customer of the bank, we just want to let you know we've just seen an ACH transfer leave your bank in the amount of, let's say it's a painful amount. It's your mortgage payment. And it's going to an, an account in your name in Lyon, France. You have two th- options here. Either you can call the 1-800 number in the email or you can click on the link in the email to go to the bank website. And Tom, what are a majority of the people going to do? They're going to click. Yeah. And I always tell people you have to become your own human firewall. Every time you receive an email, you have to think about it and you have to say, am I expecting that? Now, for a lot of your listeners, it becomes very, very challenging because you're sharing files. All of a sudden, you receive an email from someone who says, hey, Tom, I love what you're doing. Look at this great idea. And it's a Microsoft Word document. What are most people going to do? Click. Open up the document. (laughs) Right. So people are having to be careful. But at the same time, you know, you you talk about sort of these scary stories. You told me a story before we went live that you spoke at a conference and one of the other speakers was saying, hey, you got to live in the world of technology. The next speaker is going to try to scare you. Well, I kind of want you to scare my audience. I don't want to say the opposite of that. I, I want you to scare the audience. What What are the real things that are happening to small businesses? Give, give me more examples. Well, sure. And you know what? And I'm never saying don't be adverse to technology. Technology is great. But unfortunately, Tom, in 90 to 95% of the incidents that I deal with, they could have easily have been prevented. I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a small business and they just realized that they wire transferred $70,000 out of their account and they didn't need to do that. And you know, when you hear that at first, you go, what, how would anyone do that? Well, the, the bad guy was able to get into their email account and the bad guy was able to read all of the emails from the CEO and he took time, he took a couple of weeks, and he saw that the CEO was sending emails to the controller of the company and said to pay bills. Okay. And at the right moment in time, the CEO of the company sends an email to the controller saying, I need you to make a wire transfer in the amount of $72,000 for this new project that we're working on. And what do you think the controller does? He does what his boss told him to do, and he sends the $70,000. Absolutely. And I see that so often. And one of the larger ones that I've seen here where I am is $7 million. There was just a case out in California where a company lost $36 million. This is happening on a regular basis. So the bad guy spoofed internally spoofed the email of the CEO. So the controller thought he was getting an email from... He got into the email account. So it wasn't even a spoof. He was actually sending it on that email. Yeah. Now, the business hat was using a Google-based platform, and all of a sudden, the first question that I always ask is, are you using multi-factor authentication when you're logging into your Gmail account? I see this happen quite a bit with Gmail, Facebook, Twitter... LinkedIn, and there is a security setting on all of those platforms that allow you to enter in your cell phone number 
And when you log in from, let's say, West Africa or Romania, you're going to get a text message with a random six-digit code asking you to log in. So when you enter in your username and password, you have to enter in this random six-digit code. When that happens, you know someone's trying to get access to your account. So if people would really start paying attention to the multi-factor authentication, and it's very, very difficult for me to sit down with these businesses and tell them they're not getting their money back. So let's talk a little bit more about multi-factor authentic- authentication. So I use that for my Twitter account. I, in fact, I think I use it for all of my social media accounts that offer it. But but how do people go and, and A, find it, find it? Because I found it wasn't easy to do. It wasn't like totally just like, here it is. Look at us. We have this. You had to go looking for it. Yeah, it, it's located in the security settings. And unfortunately, it's one extra step. And a lot of people... So if I have my Gmail on my smartphone and I want to print a document and I'm over at your house, I would enter in my username, my password, and then I would get that text with a random six-digit code. And a lot of people think it's a pain. But unfortunately, as, as we see, these crimes are increasing. You have to look into the security settings on each of these platforms and a majority of them offer it, but most people do not take advantage of it. Because one of the big things that I see is Facebook. I see Facebook has a lot of account takeovers. So Facebook has implemented the multi-factor authentication. Because most people, and this is where I see a lot of trouble uh, starts, because all of a sudden the Facebook password gets stolen. And you have your username, you have your password, and then you have your corresponding email account. Well, there's been some research by a lot of the security firms that say that 70% of the population is using the same password for multiple platforms. So if you're not using the multi-factor authentication, the bad guy steals your password, and then he uses that password to get into your email account. And then once he gets into your email account, what's he going to find that's mission critical to your life, Tom? Everything. Yeah. He's going to find your bank account information, your credit card information. And that's why when I tell people, you know, besides thinking before you click, becoming your own human firewall, we need to have separate passwords for our mission critical systems. Because so often I will see an account takeover at LinkedIn or Gmail or Facebook and the bad guys will steal that password and log on to all the systems. So you have to find define what are your mission-critical accounts, make sure you have the multi-factor authentication, and have separate passwords. Do not use the same password over and over and over. And unfortunately, I see that happening way too often. So you bring up the fact that 70% of the population just uses one password for almost everything. And, and I'm actually surprised it's as low as 70%. I think, you know, probably more people are using one password. I mean, it, there's so many things we need passwords for today. And you're saying have different passwords, you know, entirely different passwords for everything. How do you suggest we go about, you know, keeping up with those? Well, you have to define what are your mission critical passwords in your life. So what are my mission critical passwords? I have three bank accounts. I have my email accounts that have multi-factor authentication. <clears throat> my 
phone account is mission critical. But just think about that. If all of a sudden the bad guys get access to a Facebook account and they use the Facebook username and they type in iCloud and use that same password, they're going to get into the iCloud account. And what are you going to see in the iCloud account? You're going to see when everyone in my family is not at home because of the <laughs> Find My iPhone app that we all use because we don't want to get into that point where we lose our iPhone. That's why you have to define these, your brokerage account, anything that really has money associated to it. So you have to come up with separate passwords. In the old days, I may have used a password such as Aiden 2003 or Quinn 2005 because my, that's when my kids were born. Why did I use passwords like that? Because they were easy to remember. Now we have to come up with something that's complicated, and I always say 12 characters in length, uppercase, lowercase, special symbol, and a number, but easy to remember. And right now, you're probably scratching your head going, how am I going to come up with eight separate passwords that are 12 characters in length? We have to start thinking passphrases. We have to start thinking about phrases that only you will know. And we can start thinking about the first letter off of each word, and in your passwords, you use the same special symbol and number, you know, so that's easy to remember. You can come up with, within 10 minutes, you can come up with 10 really good passphrases. I would recommend write your passphrases down. So give me an and example. Can, give me an example of what is a passphrase. My wife and I love to go to St. Martin on our vacation. Very easy. I know that phrase all the time. So what we'll do is we will just take the first letter off of each word, and whenever there's, whenever we use two, I'll use the number two, and then maybe insert a special symbol and a number somewhere in that passphrase. You can come up with any type of passphrase about anything. My son Quinn just broke his arm at his friend Anthony's house. You know, I'm never going to forget that. <laughs> so and you can have these passphrases. So the one that my wife and I like to go to St. Martin on our vacation, the passphrase then translates to a password of MWA, uh, my, my wife and I, and then I, L2, the number 2 in place of T-O, G, the number 2, and then maybe the S could be like the uh, symbol, the number sign, so St. Martin would be, uh-huh. would be I'm sorry, not number sign, a money sign, S-M-O-O-V, and that becomes your password? And you think that's easy? Just write the phrase down. <laughs> I mean, eventually, I mean, eventually, you're going to come up with that. But I would say, what are the options? I mean, that's what the bad guys are really taking advantage. Think about how much of how much information is publicly available on websites that could be used to define your password. I mean, I was reading one study by a researcher that said that seventy percent of passwords can be easily guessed by going to someone's Facebook account. By entering in somebody's kids and using the using the last year. So what do I have now? I have a book. 
I know my I know I've memorized my four mission critical passwords. When you start entering them, entering them in over and over again, I just have to say it all the time. My wife and I like to go to St. Martin, and then automatically I know the first I know the first letter. It sounds complicated, but it really isn't. So now that we're moving to the world of mobile phones, does that change everything from when everything was on a laptop or a desktop? I mean, almost everything we do now is on our smartphone, right? I mean, how often do we? you know, even use our computers for a lot of this mission critical stuff because everything is now, you know, we have an app for everything. And, and the bad guys are starting to move that way. And I've been reading some open source information about the amount of malware. And just to repeat, malware are malicious programs that run in the background and they're only designed to steal your username and password. And what the malware is trying to do is get onto your phone or get onto your device to steal usernames and passwords. So that's where the big thing is going. And right now, unfortunately, the way things are moving, we are all going to one device. I seem to be one of the few people left in the world that has two phones. And that's why yesterday it was a little hard for me to get in touch with you because I'm so used to my work phone and then I had my personal phone and I'm not checking one at the, one at the time. And to be honest, if I had my way, I'd have a third phone to do my mobile banking. But my wife said she doesn't want me to be that guy. I'm already that guy. I'm just a little paranoid about that. And so often I get people who say to me, is my bank app safe? And I always say, yeah, your bank app is most likely safe. But what about all the other stuff that we're putting on our devices? We really don't know who's writing it. There are so often these things are being put out to the market so quickly. And that's where, to me, there's a lot of concern because so often we see all these great apps. And don't get me wrong, I love these apps. I download these apps. But I'm not banking on that same phone that I am downloading all of these apps onto. So I know someone who keeps, I think he keeps way too much information on Evernote because he likes to have everything sort of in one place. But, you know, my thought is you hear about all these things getting hacked and getting into. It's like if somebody gets into someone's Evernote, then they have everything because everything they've ever, you know, have, all their passwords, everything is stored there. So I, I try not to keep that stuff there. And just think about the Evernote example because that's great because so many people are putting all of that information onto Evernote. And what happens? They drop their cell phone. They don't put a password on their cell phone. Somebody picks it up, and now all that information is out there. You know, how are we accessing it? And that goes into the big thing. And I spend so many times, so often I get asked, you know, is the cloud safe? And I'm like, well, what are we putting into the cloud? Everything. Are we putting in all? Yeah. So it's more, and I'm not saying not to do that. But I'm saying, okay, why don't we take it and the easier we make it for ourselves, the easier we are making it for the bad guys. So the multi-factor authentication is really a great thing. And so often people say to me, I don't want to do that. And I just say, okay, you know, I'm just trying to share with you what I have seen in my career that would have prevented this. Because so often... I go out and I respond to these, uh, every single one of them, I'm like, well, that could have been prevented if you would have done this. And so often I'm going out and I'm seeing, uh, going over to a cafe 
and now they have their iPad and they have their little square reader on that iPad so they can process credit cards. And since they're doing all this other stuff and clicking on links and downloading apps, it's just a matter of time, I think, before, you know, they get compromised and it impacts their entire brand. So, Scott, I've got a lot more questions for you. But first, I've got to thank our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Scott, the FBI agent that we have with us today. So if you're thinking of starting your own podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer they have for our listeners. Now, Scott, we're getting into the good part here right as we're about to wrap up the show. And that is, I don't think I have given any thought. I mean, I've been pretty good about like all the social media, you know, security and certainly watching my bank accounts and, and what I do with my computer and I have it backed up and I have a company that comes on and can, you know, double, double, triple check for viruses and all that stuff. But I haven't thought that much about my mobile device. And now in just the 25 minutes we've spent together, you've got me all queasy thinking about my my phones and my tablets. And you even said this isn't something a lot of people are thinking about. What do we have to be doing when it comes to mobile that we're not doing as a small business owner? I would really say that what people need to do is really educate themselves on the risks. That would probably be the first thing. And, you know, with the FBI, I would recommend that everyone go to www.ic3.gov. And that is our clearinghouse to report suspicious activity. But it also really has a lot of up-to-date information on the current threats that are out there. With a little bit of education, people will be aware so the next time you get that document or if you get something and it just doesn't seem right, you pick up the telephone, you call these people. And unfortunately, just think about our lives, how they've transformed so much in the past five years that just about everything we do is done by text. It's done by email that we don't have that face-to-face communication anymore. And that's what the bad guys are really, really preying on right now. And where are the bad guys going? The bad guys are going to where are the most users going? And where are the most users going? Everybody is going to that one device to do everything in their life. A lot of times when entrepreneurs ask me what should they do to identify, to reduce their level of risk, I always say to them, what's the most important piece of information that you have in your organization? Is it your customer list? Is it your money? And build protections around that. So I spoke to one organization where their biggest thing was their bank, their banking information. So I recommended to them, go out and get a separate computer for their banking and finance. And do not check the internet. Do not check email. Do not web surf. Just go to your banking site. And wow. the other best piece of advice I can give you is don't let your kids use the same computer that you're using <laughs> to do your banking or finance or sensitive information because your kids are going to click on every link. I learned to explain to kids. I learned that possible. one the hard way. I'm, and not with anything like really serious, but you know, every problem we've had on the computers has always been through, you know, computers that are being used for the kids to surf the net. Sure. 
And, and, you know, one of the things that the FBI is doing differently now is we're really trying to make it a point. We're really educating the community. We are going out. We're trying to provide that information to the general public. There's another great website uh, called www.infraguard, I-N-F-R-A-G-A-R-D.net, and that's the FBI's public-private alliance where business owners can sign up and they get a base-level clearance, and we're able to share that information. And we have chapter, we have 56 field offices throughout the United States. There's different chapters in different cities, and it's just a great way for people to learn about the different threats that are out there. Because, you know, when I started as an FBI agent, my job was there were bad people doing bad things to good people. And what did I do? I worked with state and local cops, and we put bad people in jail. Unfortunately, today, our job has changed. We have a different global connected world. Even though we have FBI agents in league in in excess of 70 countries throughout the world, it's still very challenging for us. So that's why it's so important for us to get the message out. And I do appreciate you helping me get that message out. No, I'm, I'm, this is actually, I'm really, really glad to have you on the show. I'm sure that listeners are going to say, wow, this, this, you know, this one made me think, if, if not made me a little quaky in my boots. But, you know, there's one thing we haven't talked about before we wrap up, and that is I think a lot of small business people have the misunderstanding that they're covered with their banking stuff because the banks talk a lot about the protections that you have as a consumer. But why don't you talk a little bit about what that translates to on the business side or, or doesn't? Sure. Uh, consumers are protected. So if the bad guys get into my bank account and I catch that within a certain amount of time, the bank will be make me good. So this is if it's my checking and savings account because consumers are protected by something called Regulation E. On the other side, businesses are under something that's called the UCC filings. And under UCC with the banks, you're 24 hours, you're out of luck. And that's why it's so difficult for businesses to recoup their money because once the bad guys get it, it's gone. And in so many of these cases that I see, which we call the business email compromise, what ends up happening is the bad guys take over the email account. They send the email to the controller. The controller does the wire transfer. A lot of times the bank will call the controller up and say, are you sure you want to do this? The controller will go, yeah, the boss told me to. Okay. The banks aren't liable for that. And it comes back to the consumers. So that's why I always recommend that consumer uh, for the commercial customers use a bank that offers the multi-factor authentication. Make sure you talk to the bank and make sure that if you are not, if your bank doesn't, if you don't do wire transfers in the course of action, talk to the bank, turn it off. Well, what, what gets me, get into the, what gets me is you said 24 hours. I mean, how many small business people are looking at their bank account, you know, twice a day? And I, I know that I don't. So, you know, I wonder if that's something that also would be a good security thing is just work it into your day to check and make sure that nothing weird has happened. Yeah, that, that is good. But if you can make sure that you lock down your account with multi-factor authentication uh, or use that separate computer to check your banking or make sure you kick your kids off of that computer, you really, really 
take a couple of extra steps to make yourself safe. Well, Scott, I want to thank you for being here on the show, especially because I think you, you bring to everybody just a little bit of food for thought that we can think about. Because what did you say? Something like 95% of all the cyber crimes that you deal with could have been prevented? Yes, that is correct. And, you know, my goal here today was just to provide what I've dealt with over the past 11 years working this to make sure that I don't have to meet any of your listeners as the victim of cybercrime. Well, and what I've learned in the time that I've gotten to know you is I'm glad to know that our cybercrimes division of the FBI likes to think entrepreneurial because you guys are trying to stay one step in front of those bad guys. You're not waiting for them to find us. You're, you're trying to stay one step ahead of them. So for that, we, we applaud you here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Well, thank you, Tom, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you guys today. So if somebody wants to know more about, you know, or they have a problem and they need to reach out to the FBI, that would be another thing I would think of. A lot of people, if they have a problem, you know, where do they turn? How do they find their local FBI to say, help, I've got a cyber problem? Well, go to www.fbi.gov and there, that will tell you everything you can ever want to know and more about the FBI to report an online crime. It's, and for that, you can get the telephone numbers for any of the field offices around the country. And we have 56 field divisions. We have smaller offices, probably in excess of 450 throughout the United States and the world. And ic3.gov is a really good way to report this to our online clearinghouse. But my goal today was to helpfully provide your listeners with some tips so they don't ever have to call us. <laughs> well, again, thank you for being a guest on the show. And for everybody who tuned in to listen, thank you. I hope this was uh, some food for thought because it was a little different than our regular episodes. But this is stuff we all need to be thinking about. So I'm going to be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody just as cool as Scott. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.